Good morning, faith family. We have lifted the great name of Jesus Christ in song, in prayer, in baptism. And during the next half hour, we're going to continue lifting his great name as we open his word together. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus is our dearest friend. And this morning, we'll discover and celebrate more of who Jesus is. But, but before we do, I want to say thank you for being here. Really, genuinely thank you. May God build you up this morning. May he encourage you in meaningful and personal ways during this worship experience. I'm John Tice, and I am honored to serve Jesus Christ here as minister to his boys and girls. In the kids' space, I am joined by more than 100 fantastic volunteers who make Brook Hills Kids a tremendous place for your children to grow up in their faith. And speaking of Brook Hills, and speaking of kids, for a lead pastor, senior Pastor, Pastor Matt, for, for him to know what the children in our church memorize, that, that's highly unusual. And then for him to carve out a six-week series on what the kids memorize, that's entirely unheard of. How many of you were here uh, in July when, Pastor, or when Scott James or Chris Robbins opened the word of God with us? Those guys are solid, solid guys. I know their wives. I know their children. Top shelf individuals. But the reality is, if you come up to the kids' space, second floor, and you come into the Welcome Center, you're going to see the same caliber of people on our Welcome Center. You walk into our hallways, you'll see our hallways filled with the same caliber of men and women. You walk into any one of our faith trainer rooms, you're going to see rooms filled with solid men and women. And Phyllis and I are honored to serve at their side. God has given me a message this morning. And I am excited to share it with you. I really, really am. So with Bibles in hand, open them with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians is in the New Testament. So if you find yourself in the book of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, keep moving to the right. Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians, and then you'll find yourself in Colossians. Paul wrote this epistle or letter during his first imprisonment in Rome, around AD 60-62, probably around the same time that he wrote Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon. It's important to frame up the context or the situation in the church that led Paul to write this letter. Time, time is limited, so the briefest and most helpful summary is that the body of believers in Colossae had a problem. 
The false teachers were threatening the spiritual health of this church, claiming that Jesus is less than he truly is. And that is a significant threat because a complete and correct understanding of Jesus is vital to the church's health, growth, and mission. So the Apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, writes a letter to them, and by extension, he writes a letter to us to make it clear who Jesus is. And this is an excellent place for us to stop, to pause, and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to expand our understanding as we revel in the Son of God. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this message, God, that I believe you've given to me. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use what is said here, particularly your word, and burn it into our hearts. God, help us to see Jesus in ways perhaps we've never have seen him before. And may that result in more genuine enthusiastic worship. May that result in greater surrender in our lives in every way. We pray for these next 30 minutes together that you would be honored, Jesus would be exalted. It's in his name we pray, amen. Let's follow along as Phyllis quotes this great passage, Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Hi, my name is Phyllis Wright, and I will be quoting Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. By the way, if you ever wonder, what, what makes Brook Hills kids tick? What makes Brook Hills kids fun? Phyllis Wright. This morning's passage, Colossians 1, 15 through 18, declares three marvelous truths about Jesus. They're on your note sheet and they're on the screen. And Jesus is God made visible. Jesus is the glorious creator and sustainer of all things. And Jesus is the resurrected redeemer of his body, the church. And that's it. You get a break this morning. Those are all your fill-ins. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when it comes right down to it, as we'll discover this morning, just as Jesus fills in all these blanks, he is most relevant in our lives, including the blanks or questions we often face. Jesus is God made visible. Colossians 1.15 tells us he is the image of the invisible God. Being invisible is not the same as being unseen. 
The wind is invisible, but it's not unseen. God is invisible, at least to our human eyes, our natural eyes, but God is not unseen. Let's give our attention to just three ways God reveals himself. The first is creation. I'm reading from Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. All of creation is a booming witness to the majestic glory of God. But this witness or this revelation is limited. We certainly see God's power and creativity in it, but does God have a name? Does God know our names? To these questions, creation is silent. But Psalm 19 moves on to tell us of another way God reveals himself, describing it as perfect, trustworthy, and right. This is God's written witness, his word. In his word, we do learn God's great name. And we do discover that God knows our names. He knows our very steps, our inmost thoughts, He knows everything about us. God reveals himself in creation and in his word, and still he is not done making himself known. There's a perfect witness in the impeccable and wonderful person of Jesus Christ. God's one and only beautiful and glorious son. In Jesus, God is made visible. This is what Paul wanted the believers in Colossae to know, and this is what God wants us to know. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The apostle Paul put it this way. I'm reading from John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Once during Jesus' earthly ministry, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, said, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And Jesus replied, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. The writer of Hebrews takes a big, bold sharpie and underscores that truth, saying the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Whether observing God's creation 
contemplating God's word, or even standing eye to eye with God's son to see requires faith. Why faith? What does faith have to do with anything? What real value is there in faith? Well, it depends on whom we ask. Some would say faith is as substantial and consequential as crossing your fingers and wishing something to be or not to be. But that is not, that is not God's appraisal of faith. Abraham believed God and for that faith, God credited righteousness to Abraham. That's huge. Because no one is righteous. You are not righteous. I am not righteous. We all fall short of God's glory. And we, before, because of that, we are condemned before a holy God. This is man's colossal problem from Adam's fall until now. That's your colossal problem. That's my colossal problem. Concerning the value of faith, what God did for Abraham, giving him righteousness, taking away his guilt and declaring him righteous, God does that for all of us who believe. Galatians 3, verse 7, listen what this says. God's word tells us, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. That's God's assessment of faith. If I've learned anything about faith in the last 35 years, serving with those who model it best, children, faith is the genius of God. Faith is unimpressed by age, life experience, or maturity. It makes no distinction between the wise elder and the young child. Faith is just as much faith to the intellectual scholar as it is to the simple and unlearned man. Faith does not require sight or hearing. It cannot be earned. It cannot be purchased. Faith is unrestricted by social, economic, or any such status. Faith is to the king as it is to the one who scrubs the king's toilet. Faith is the prerogative and genius of God. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? 
Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God has, was pleased to save those who would believe through the foolishness of what is preached. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 21. Faith matters to God. And that's all we need to know. It doesn't matter what I say about it. It doesn't matter what anyone else says about it. What matters is what God says about it. And what God says about it is this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Many saw Jesus eye to eye were close enough to Jesus to reach out and touch him. They heard his voice and did not respond to him in faith. Consequently, nothing happened. Many others did respond in faith and their lives were eternally changed. No one here has ever seen Jesus eye to eye. And yet Peter encourages us with these words, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. The one appropriate and acceptable response to Jesus is to believe him. For through faith, you are all the sons of God in Christ Jesus. So may faith arise in this place. May faith in Jesus arise in our hearts this morning. Jesus is the glorious creator and sustainer of all things. Colossians 1:15 continues, he is the firstborn over all creation. The term firstborn can be confusing to us and that's understandable. We don't use that term anymore. But does it suggest that Jesus had a beginning or that he is somehow not co-eternal in the Godhead with the Father and the Spirit. No. To the original recipients of this letter, the term firstborn was clearly understood. It meant heir, first, owner, or master. He is master. Jesus is master over all creation. Verse 16, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This refers to spirits. This refers to various orders of angels. But the point is all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is both the means and Jesus is the end. All things find their proper place, meaning, and purpose in relationship to Jesus Christ. 
And Paul is not alone in revealing Jesus as the creator of all things. John tells us all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. You're right now, you're in the book of Colossians. Keep something in Colossians chapter 1 and turn with me a little bit to the right in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, starting with verse 1. It says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him the heir of all things and made the universe through him. Not only did Jesus create all things, he sustains all things. Water is fascinating, and water is fun. Our favorite night at Summer Mix is water night. Our favorite activities at kids camp happens on the water. Your best memories from this summer likely happened on or near water. So let's consider water in this image. Water is made of atoms as all matter is. The composition of water is two hydrogen atoms for every one oxygen atom, H2O. What holds these or any other atoms together had been a mystery until the early 1900s when physicists discovered forces that hold atoms together. Atoms should fly apart. The positively charged protons should repel each other, and they don't. And up until the 1900s, early 1900s, that force was like, it was a mystery. Now we know that strong and weak nuclear forces hold the atom together. So in this beautiful image, at a subatomic level, strong and weak nuclear forces hold the hydrogen and oxygen atoms together to give us water. Notice how the water, though, is behaving. There are external forces at work. So hydrogen bonding or a, a, an electromagnetic force is holding the drops of water to the leaf. And weaker gravitational force is pulling the water down. God's creation, including the forces at play, holding everything together in their place, is truly amazing. And Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. What we're discovering today is consistent with or it checks out with what Jesus did or Jesus' activity during his earthly ministry. And since we're talking about water, let's consider some of what Jesus did with water. His first miracle involved water. I'm reading from John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day of a wedding that took place in Cana of Galilee, Jesus' mother was there. 
And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. Verse 6. Now, six stone water jars had been there for Jewish purification, each containing 20 or 30 gallons of water. Jesus said, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And when the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then the people, after they're drunk, then he sets out the inferior wine, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. Jesus walked on water. On another occasion, in a violent storm, he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. These are not tricks or miracles for shock and awe. These are strong demonstrations that Jesus is master, creator, and sustainer of all things in heaven and on earth. Visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. As impressive as his creation is, there's more. Jesus is bringing something exceedingly more glorious into existence. Colossians 1, verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is building his glorious church, his body. An unimaginable number of people from the beginning of time to the end of time. From every nation, tribe, and tongue who will forever be called children of God. Children of the resurrection. Redeemed ones. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. But the church will not be brought into existence by his breath, but by his blood. To bring his church into being, Jesus gives himself entirely. And speaking of this, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Death was never going to hold the source of life. The Old Testament foretold Jesus' resurrection. Jesus told his disciples of his resurrection. 
See, we are going to Jerusalem, Jesus said. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. In his resurrection, Jesus put death to death. And because that's true, death is going to take me. Death is going to take you. But death is not going to hold me, and death is not going to hold you. The final power, death has no final power over the redeemed. Jesus said, as for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. We are born into Adam, all of us, you, me, we are born by natural birth into Adam. And because of that, we all die. By grace, through faith, the redeemed are born into Christ, and in Christ we live. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Romans 6, 5, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So, so Brookhills, does Jesus being God, creator, sustainer, and resurrected redeemer connect in any meaningful way to our daily lives. What I mean to say is this, is this Sunday stuff? Or does this matter when Monday morning hits? How, how can this not matter? And in what areas of our lives is this not relevant? How can the one to whom all creation gives way not also be most relevant in our daily activities? Our plans, our hopes, our dreams. How can the one who holds all things together not also be most relevant in our daily struggles and fears? You're here this morning and maybe you feel like you are falling apart. Your marriage is falling apart, your relationships, maybe your business. You feel like you can't hold it together one more day. One way or another, Jesus is most relevant to your situation. You know, on Sunday mornings, in response to just about any question, very young children raise their hands and confidently say, Jesus! We might be looking for another answer. But these children are on to something. In what area of our lives is Jesus not the answer? Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That sounds like universal relevance. 
That sounds like universal significance. Do, do you need a counselor? Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Do you need protection, provision, direction? Jesus is a good shepherd. Do you need peace? Jesus is the prince of peace. But how do I find him? How, how do you find him? Well, first of all, Jesus is not playing hide and seek. Acts 17 tells us he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Call out to him in prayer. He will answer you. Worship him in song. Seek him in his word. And your faith will come alive. Pursue him in authentic Christian community. And you will find Jesus in and among his people. And looking outward, when we're living on mission, whether we're praying for and sharing Jesus with our children, our families, our friends, our neighbors, or maybe taking the message to another country, we couldn't offer any better. We have every reason to look up, smile, and speak confidently. When we speak of Jesus, we speak of God, creator, sustainer, and resurrected redeemer. This morning's message has been for Christians, redeemed believers, those whose hope is in Jesus for this life and eternal life. But now I want to talk to you that maybe this morning you arrived here, someone invited you, and for whatever reason you're not sure, like you're not certain where you stand with Jesus. You care where you stand with him, but you don't, you're unsure what to do about it. Please listen. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, born in human flesh, grew up, taught truths about the Father and about his coming kingdom. Then Jesus, the sinless Son of God, was condemned to suffer and die for things he did not do. Instead, he died for things I have done. He died for things you have done. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord was punished for the iniquity of us all. And he did this because of his great love for us. After Jesus' death, he was placed in a tomb. And three days later, he arose from the tomb alive, proving every word he spoke is true, proving who he is and who he said he is is true, proving what he accomplished by his shed blood and death on the cross counts. It is finished. Forgiveness and eternal life are promised to all who turn to God and call upon Jesus, trusting him alone for forgiveness of sin. 
I pray that you will believe these truths this morning. And that you will turn to God and call upon Jesus Christ, even here, even now. If you want this, even as I'm speaking, even as Jesus has been proclaimed, even as I've held forth the gospel, if you want this, you know it. Respond. Respond to Jesus in faith today, not tonight, not tomorrow, today. As soon as the service is over, tell a Christian friend or a family member who brought you. Join us back here in the connection point room and talk to somebody there. I'll be down here afterward. Talk with me. And you might be wondering, what, what would I say? How would I even begin to get that conversation started? Say something like this. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Uh, say, I want Jesus. Say, I want to be saved. But get the conversation started.